It's 1208. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. We start off today's show like we start off every show with three big things. But first, it is my favorite cop, carjacker, thug story of the day. All right. A week ago Sunday, November 5th. Here's what happens. There is a 63-year-old lady. And and isn't this interesting? The cowardly carjacking thugs that prey the streets of Milwaukee looking for people, they try to single out women. All right? So 63-year-old woman, um, 2 o'clock a week ago Sunday, right? week ago Sunday, parks her car in the 4300 block of North 18th Street, Woman tells police she hears someone come up behind her and demand her keys. She turns and sees a masked man pointing a gun at her. How brave of you, Mr. Thug. She tells him no. The guy says, lady, I want your keys. And if you don't give me your keys, I'm going to shoot you. Then he grabs her purse and walks towards her car. She goes after him, saying she wanted her things back, at which point in time the pond scum fires. He shoots. The gunshot hit the concrete in front of her, ricocheted off the concrete, and hit her on the chin. He shot this woman. Milwaukee police. Okay, so then, then the car gets stolen. He drives off. She's, she's going to survive to tell the tale. But all right, so steals the car, steals the purse, drives off. Okay, here's where it gets interesting. Milwaukee police see her stolen car the next night about 10.15. The car was parked and unoccupied in the rear lot on West Sheridan Avenue near West Leon Terrace. Okay, so they see the car. Here's what the cops do. They go out. They deflate the tires on the car. They let the air out of the tires, and then they sit back and wait. Okay? Well, what happens is these three punks, thugs, I'll tell you about them in just a minute, come out and get in the car. (laughs) They get in the carjack car and try to drive off. At that point in time, the officers pull up and try to pull the car over, at which point in time... The punks, the thugs, try to speed away. Well, they can't because the tires have been deflated. At which point in time, the car quickly stops. Um, Four people jump out of the car, kind of like one of those little clown cars that you see like at the circus, and try to run. Um, The cops catch them. Three of them are facing charges. Okay, one suspect, the driver, Kane Thomas, charged with driving a vehicle without the owner's consent and fleeing. Kent Thomas and Devante Harris were charged with being felons in possession of firearms. Harris was also charged with bail jumping. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Um, So one of the guns that they take, um, let's see, Kent Thomas, 45 caliber Colt firearm, ballistics matched it to the gun used in the carjacking. So he's carrying the gun that was used in the carjacking. The gun had been reported stolen in Oak Creek in 2014. Police also found a 9-millimeter handgun under the driver's seat. All right, so they catch these four. This Kent Thomas, um, 24 years old, he's the one that has the stolen gun that is tied to the the shooting of this woman. Um, He's got a criminal record at the age of 24 as long as your arm. But the only thing his record makes his partner in crime, this Devante Harris, who's 25, look like a piker. Um, I, I just pulled up this Devante Harris's record. 
I don't know. And again, keep in mind, in Wisconsin, we protect juvenile records, so we don't know what a bad actor this guy was as a juvenile. But I do know that he was convicted in April of uh, 2011 of theft from a corpse, which is a felony, got 18 months in jail. And it tells me if he got 18 months in jail, it was probably his not first was not his first time at the rodeo um so that's you know, six years ago when he's probably 18 or 19 years old um he gets 18 months in jail 18 months of um again extended release so he gets out presumably he gets out in 2012 um in 2013 in october he's convicted uh, again of um this time it was armed robbery and other stuff gets um three years in prison with six years of extended supervision <clears throat> extended supervision in other words he's out on parole which means absolutely nothing and now he's driving around you got the gun in the car obviously involved in part of this gang that was there but this is what goes on at least in this case i bring this story up because it, it underscores a couple things first of all you've got these bad actors these 24 and 25 year old guys i don't know about the criminal record of the 22 year old who was driving the car but you have these bad actors these dangerous thugs who have committed crime after crime who should not be on the streets and let's face it extended supervision is a joke it means nothing to them and hopefully this time this kent thomas and this Devonte harris and this kane thomas will be sent to prison for a long period of time maybe they will be rehabilitated but at least they will be off the streets and they won't be involved in driving around in stolen cars or in sticking guns and pulling the trigger uh, sticking guns in the face of 63 year old women but also, I mean, I love this story because I, I want to see more of this from the cops. I want to see. You know, we've heard story after story about people whose cars have been stolen and then they found them. You know, the, the people have found them and they'll call the police and say, I, I, my car, it's parked outside of this apartment building. And the police will say, oh, OK, well, that's great. Be careful when you take it back instead of sending people out staking out the car and waiting till the thieves or the people driving the stolen cars come out and get in them and then arresting them. Now, in this case, I acknowledge it was a carjacking, so maybe it was a bit more severe. But this is exactly the type of behavior that you want to see. Let's catch these creeps. Let's get them off the street. And then hopefully, maybe finally, the judges in Milwaukee County will wake up and will recognize that you are not doing the general public a favor when you slap these punks on the wrists because all you are doing is you are just sending the thugs back out to shoot to murder to steal to rob you name it let's start i hate to use this term but let's start warehousing these people because if they're not going to be able to behave if they're not going to be able to avoid running the streets with guns and stealing from decent people well okay let's protect the rest of us all right three big things is President George H.W. Bush really a groper? And how will this affect his legacy that's coming up? It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I admit, I, I have always been a fan 
of President George H.W. Bush. This was the first President Bush. He has a distinguished career as a diplomat, as a politician. He was the vice president under Ronald Reagan. He was president himself for one term from 1988 to 1992 um, and, and has, I think, served, operated as a distinguished statement, statesman um, in, in the years past there. He's now in his 90s. What I think he's 93 years old. He's been, he, he was a World War II, you know, pilot. Um, he's been confined to a wheelchair for about the last four or five years. All right, so we, we are now in, in this era of, you know, the, the Me Too thing, and, and various women are coming out and, you know, talking about how they've been inappropriately touched by this person or that person, and in some cases, more than just inappropriately touched, sexually assaulted and things of the like. Time magazine is reporting that back in 2003, the first President Bush inappropriately touched a woman when she was 16 years old. Here's the woman's story. Her name is Rosalind Corrigan. Um, and she apparently, she says that she was, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, groped by President Bush 14 years ago while posing for a photograph with him at an event in Woodlands, Texas, at the office of the CIA. President Bush, um, earlier in his life, was the director of the Central Intelligence Agency. The young woman's um, father apparently was a, a, a an operative, was a CIA employee. Her father and other intelligence officers and their families came to hear the Bush address, Bush talk to the agency. So this, the girl's, the woman's 16 years old at the time. She's there with her family, and they're posing for pictures. Okay, so her parents are there. Um, what she says is apparently he patted her, her rear end. She said, my initial reaction was absolute horror. I was really, really confused. The first thing I did was look at my mom and dad while he was standing there. I didn't say anything. What does a teenager say to the ex-president of the United States? Like, hey, dude, you shouldn't have touched me like that. Corrigan is the sixth woman to make similar allegations against Bush in recent weeks. The others were adults at the time. They say they were allegedly groped. Now, that's, that, that's the word that the Washington Post is using. Um, three of the women say that they were groped by Bush within the past four years. Again, he's, he's been in a wheelchair for the last five years. And so what the, the spokespeople say is his, he's in a wheelchair so that when people come up and have their picture taken with him, his, his arms are lower. They say his arm falls on the lower waist of people with whom he takes pictures. They also say that to try to put people at ease, the president routinely tells the same joke, and on occasion, he has patted women's rears in what he intends to be a good-natured manner. Um, Spokesperson has previously said some see it as innocent. Others believe that this is inappropriate. From his perspective, I mean, the spokesperson is saying that, you know, Bush doesn't deny the allegations. Um, They say the former president simply doesn't have in his heart to knowingly cause anyone harm or distress. And he again apologizes to anyone he may have offended during a photo op. Now, what I get from this is that when people would pose for pictures with him, he would occasionally reach over and, in what he describes as a good-natured fashion, pat him on the fanny. 
Okay, that, that's that, that's now that's what's being called groping. I mean, because again, this in uh, in this particular situation for this sixteen-year-old girl, his her parents are, her parents are there. I mean, it, it's not like this is a Roy Moore thing where you're parked next to a dumpster outside of a restaurant. These are these photo ops, and apparently, when he was in his late seventies and now going through, he will acknowledge that occasion he will reach down and pat people's fannies, which some people don't mind and some people find to be offensive. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I want to be real clear here. Obviously, everybody has the right to to be free from offensive contact and groping and things like that. Does that sound like – is this guy – is this is President Bush? Is this behavior again? He, he's apologizing if people are offended, but is this is this sexual assault, or is this perhaps this generational thing? I mean, now he's in the his nineties. At the time, he was in his upper seventies, um, and it does sound like he was a fatty pa- a fanny patter. Is is what kind of this th- this sounds like to me? Now, the sixteen year old is saying, "Oh, I was groped. I was, you know, um, it's not." I'm, from what I'm gleaning, it's not like he's sticking his hands down their pants or anything like that. But he's swatting, he's patting them on the fanny, which I, I understand why somebody would take offense at that. But is this going to taint his legacy? Is this is this is it really fair to describe him as a serial groper, um, or is there perhaps more to this story? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, I obviously. People, people have a right, you know, not to be touched in inappropriate ways. And clearly a couple of these women felt that, okay, this was this inappropriate type of thing. But again, the sense I'm getting is these are photo ops. He's trying to put people at ease and he pats somebody on the fanny, not hearing responses that he's patting men on the fanny. But is this a generational thing or is this some new revelation about President George H.W. Bush that makes us think that he's really a, a pervert? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1224. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I, 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 I mean, I think people have the right of, again to be free from unwanted touching. I'm just, I'm this George H. W. Bush thing. He poses for photographs. He's he's 93 years old now, and uh, he poses for a ton of photos. And now you've got a handful of women who are saying, "Well, you know, he, he'd pat us on the fanny or or whatever." Is it inappropriate? Yes, I'm tending to give him a break though because I think it's generational. I don't get this idea that it's sort of like a grandfatherly way thing, or or he's having a little bit of fun. Barbara Bush is apparently there. Um, I don't get the sense that this is a sexual type of thing. Um, I'm willing to cut him a little slack, but but should we? 414-799-1620. Brock and Jackson, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Yeah. What do um, you think? I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Jeff. I, 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 this is ludicrous. I, I, I cannot believe that anybody in their right mind would drag his legacy all because of a picture Mm-hmm. I mean, back in the day when I was younger, um, I, I used to be, you know, I used to get kisses from my my mom's, you know, friends uh, when she had bridge, uh, when they used to come over and, you know, get pat on the butt and stuff. Yeah. What is that? I mean, that's just, a, it's just a, you know, it comes from that generation. 
where, yeah. you know, you give hugs, you, uh, you right. pat on the butt. butt. Right, and I, I think he might have, you know, and I think, I mean, for a couple of these people, I, he might have been playing around, you know, I mean, this is just, you know, the guy's 79 or 80, now he's 93 years oh. old, you pose for pictures all the time. I, I think he probably views this as harmless, and I'm not, I, I'm not saying, you know, obviously people shouldn't be touched inappropriately, but it's exactly. hard for me to view this man as a pervert. I mean, his wife is standing there, this is, it's just kind of what he does. I'm going to swatch you on the backside. Now, judged by today's contemporary standards, okay, he shouldn't be doing that. But but I see this as different than a lot of the other stories that are coming out. Well, and, and the thing is, Jeff, uh, we, 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 where this world, or this United States has become such pansies, I just cannot believe that these women aren't going to drag this guy, this poor guy's legacy around well especially right i mean thanks to i mean especially now the one in, in time magazine is a 16 year old girl and all the other women are and there's four or five others um they're all they're all adults and in i think all the cases this is in the last couple of years so he's in he's in the wheelchair but but you know does he swat the bottoms yes i i suspect he probably does um and again i i think by today's standards, that that is inappropriate. But I really don't get the sense that this is. I mean, they're calling it groping. Well, to me, you know, groping implies that you're trying to get some sort of sexual gratification or something out of that. My sense is he's probably just an old guy playing around. And this is sort of what he does. And yes, it would be inappropriate, I think. But at the same time, I see him different than others. Okay, we're going to continue this conversation for one more segment. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this and should this affect his legacy? Twelve thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, I, I I've always had the greatest respect for both President Bush's um, president, the first President Bush, George E. H. W. Bush. Um, I, I think is a great American. I think he is a true patriot. Um, I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office when he was the Vice President. Later, when he was the the President, I've met him on a couple occasions. Um, he's now 93 years old. He's been confined to a wheelchair for a number of years. There are a handful. There, there are a half a dozen women coming forward and saying, "Well, well, he groped us um, over the years." Um, most of the complaints are adult women who have posed with him in the last couple years while he's in a wheelchair, and they say on a couple occasions he sort of dropped his hand, and what I would describe as goosed them, okay? Um, yesterday, the, the Time magazine reports there's a 16-year-old girl who says, hey, I was I was with my parents. We were taking a picture with him, and that's essentially what he did. 14 years ago, he kind of dropped his hand. He goosed me. President Bush, through a spokesperson, isn't denying this stuff. He's saying, hey, this is kind of what he did from time to time and it's being described as groping now i i appreciate that people should be free from unwanted touching but candidly i see this as perhaps a a generational type of thing and i i don't get the sense that for example you know 14 years ago if president bush is posing with the 16 year old girl and her mother that he he's out for some sort of sexual gratification i just think he I don't know. Um, it just you, you do it because, I don't know, again, it's a generational thing. Um, let's see. Here's a text. When my 80-year-old grandmother met my boyfriend for the first time seven years ago, she smiled at him, told him he was good-looking, and pinched him in the tush. I believe it's just a generational thing, not her trying to grope him. Sherry in St. Francis. Sherry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, I also agree. It's really a generational thing. I'm 73, and it was acceptable at one time. It was socially acceptable. It wasn't groping. It was just like a little tap. 
it was done in friendship. Or fun or whatever, you know. Just fun. And men have really changed. I mean, I've known some of our friends, obviously, 50 years, and people who maybe had done it prior have changed, and they're much more cautious now. But we can't judge people by today's standards when they're thinking yesterday's standards, and he is 90, and he's probably kind of thinking that that was okay at that time. Yeah, and and again, I mean, when I hear groping, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you're, you're trying to get some sort of sexual gratification or something like that. Um, I mean, my guess in this particular case is he's like 80 years old. You're at this thing in Texas. Um, you're, you're there. You're posing with her mother and her, and you're trying to just you're, you're trying to be funny, and you're trying to see if you get a response from her for the photograph or something. Now, was it appropriate? No. Should he have done it? No. But does it make it, I don't think it makes him a pervert. I just don't. No, certainly not. Certainly not. And remember, those were in the days, too, that if a woman didn't want to be touched, she simply said, don't you dare. Yeah. And she controlled the situation. Women always could control that with that kind of attitude. Well, yeah, except, I mean, in this particular case, it's a 16-year-old girl at, at the time. I mean, keep in mind, this goes back 14 years. It's a 16-year-old girl, and, and you've got the ex-president. But I just... I, this is striking me as kind of like one of these sort of grandfatherly types of things. And I'm, and I'm not, again, I, I'm not coming down soft on sexual assault or things like that. This just doesn't strike me. And, it, and as, as far as the, 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 the complaints in the last couple of years, well, okay, he, he's 93 years old or 94 years old or whatever he is. He's in a wheelchair, and they say, you know, when people come up and they pose for him and he puts his arms around their waist, automatically his hands are lower than they would otherwise be. But my guess is he pats some of these people on their derriere. He, he, my, that is what my guess is. His wife is typically there. It's, it's just his way of being friendly, which is clearly, I think, inappropriate by 2017 standards. But you're talking about a, a guy who's now 93 years old. Margie in Mequon. Margie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. I... I'm going to disagree a little bit. First of all, I don't think President Bush did any, I mean, I think his intentions were good. It's being misconstrued. Mm -hmm. I think as a generation today, people are so thin-skinned. I mean, some poor guy looks cross-wide and everybody's going to be coming down his throat for being a sexual predator. I'm four foot 11. I've been four foot 11 all my life. And I I have kissy-huggy friends. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, when people, kiss and hug me, and particularly I've got a cousin who's 6'6". When that poor guy's got to lean all the way <laughs> in half to c- cuddle me or kiss me right. and hug me, where do you think his hands are going to land? <laughs> right, I yeah. mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, and the woman that you talked to before is right. If somebody really thinks they've been, you know, stepped right. on, they can say something. But I just think we, we tend to make... A mountain out of a molehill these days on everything. Well, right. I see. And again, I'm not downplaying the, the real sexual assault. And my guess is there, there's probably guys that are out there that are grabby and way too handsy and that type of stuff, and they deserve to be called out. I just don't think that this is. I don't think that there's sexual intent behind this. I think it's an elderly guy who pats people on the rear end because. That's what you did when, you know, he was coming of age and stuff, and he probably thinks he's being clever as opposed to trying to get some sort of sexual gratification out of it. I just I just don't believe that that's what was going on here. Neither do I. It's, and actually, I mean, my mother was a big butt patter, and it was <laughs> like a term of endearment from her. I mean, yeah. she... 
she was from England she did, or Scotland. Yeah. She didn't, you know, it just was a term of endearment. Yeah, you you introduce her to your husband or whatever, and she and she gooses him. I mean, that that's, that's what it, that's what it sounds like the guy was doing. I mean, it sounds like he was goosing a couple of these these women. And I understand by 2017 standards, you should not do that. But he's not a 2017 guy. Um, th- no, thanks for the call. I, pre- I, guess, I, I just I wanted to bring this up. This is big story number one because I, I think. Especially, you know, in, in today's day and age, and now we've got the Me Too stuff, and we're analyzing, you know, inappropriate behavior and things like that. It's appropriate to call it out. At the same time, this one doesn't strike me as as the type of sexual assault or the sexual misconduct that you're hearing about in so many of the other cases, at least thus far. When we come back, big story number two, what do we do on the roadways? Do we, are we ready for self-driving cars? Stick around. It's 1242. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1246. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Wisconsin Badgers are moving up in the football playoff rankings after a win over Iowa. Greg Matzik dives into the newest rankings. That is 8.07 this evening. Be sure to be listening to Greg on Sports Central. Big story number two. I, I think Foxconn is a game changer. And I understand there's people out there that hate Governor Walker and want want anything that he has his fingerprints on to fail because it will make them happy because, oh, we don't want to see Scott Walker get credit for things. I think we're going to look back 5, 10, 15 years from now at, at what happened with the commitment to Foxconn and see it as truly being transformative as far as the history of southeastern Wisconsin and job growth and perhaps the state of Wisconsin in general. Right now, we are in the process of expanding the freeway, I-94 from the, again, state line up to Milwaukee County. One of the things that is being looked at is trying to figure out ways to get employees, you know, from where they live, perhaps even in Milwaukee, even though, you know, it's interesting that all the Democrats, with essentially one exception in Milwaukee, voted against Foxconn, but now they're going to want to try to, hey, let, let's let's try to get on the Foxconn train. Let's try to get some of our people there, you know, working there, and let's figure out how we're going to be able to get them there, which is something that they perhaps should have considered when they were voting against Foxconn. But anyhow, we're, we're trying to be ahead of the curve. And the Journal Sentinel is reporting that one of the things that they are considering is perhaps putting in specific designated lanes moving forward on I-94 for the driverless vehicles. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports a portion of this. Spurred by Foxconn Technology Group and its plans to build a mega factory in Racine County, state highway planners are studying the possibility of including special lanes for driverless vehicles on I-94. Should that come to pass, and at this point it is only something being contemplated, it would put Wisconsin in the vanguard of what many believe will be a key part of transportation in the future. See, interestingly, Gru, who's producing the show today, state planners are looking at where the future is going to be and where the modern technology is going to be, as opposed to, say, Mayor Barrett, who wants to take us back to early 20th century technology with streetcars. All right, the story continues. Driverless cars have been developed and are being tested, but there are no highway lanes dedicated to so-called autonomous vehicles, the Department of Transportation says. 
Um, so what they're looking at is saying, hey, you know, we're we're trying to figure out, you know, ways that we can get people to the Foxconn area. And, you know, as long as we're expanding the, this these lanes and stuff, you know, maybe we should be ahead of the curve. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I have been a big opponent of Milwaukee's trolley. Like I say, I, I think it's ridiculous. I don't think people are going to ride it because it doesn't take people anywhere. And it, it's technology that, you know, we, we, we got rid of in, what, the 1920s or the 1930s or the 1940s. Going back to the future in that way doesn't make any sense to me. At the same time, at the same time, this offers an opportunity to, uh, again, plan ahead. So let's tee this up. Is this something that is worth at least moving from the drawing board into a a feasibility study? The idea of, okay, if we're expanding the freeway, if we're putting in more lanes, does it make sense to have potentially a couple designated lanes for the driverless vehicles with the idea that that stuff could perhaps be used to help shuttle people back and forth to Foxconn. I understand it might sound a little bit like the Jetsons, but unlike the trolleys, unlike the streetcars, now we are moving. It's 2017. Do we have to be thinking ahead of the curve? And my answer is, while I'm not ready to come out and say, let's spend the money, I think it's worth studying to try to anticipate where the transportation needs and what is going to be available as we move forward. But is it just crazy? Is this just crazy talk, or is it something at least worth exploring with a feasibility study or something to figure out, is it really going to be, could this be worth it? Could it be doable? And could this be the wave of the future? And if it is, maybe it does make sense to do it now while you're expanding the freeway. All right, is this just is this, again, Star Wars and Blade Runner and Jets and stuff, or is this perhaps a real opportunity that at least is worth looking into? I think at least it's worth considering. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1252. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1254, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. The Journal Sentinel reporting that one of the things that's under consideration is as long as we're widening I-94 right now around the area where Foxconn is going to be, one of the things they're looking at is maybe dedicating a lane or lanes to driverless cars, driverless automobiles. This is not it is not the first time this has been proposed. Out on the West Coast, apparently in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Seattle is looking at expanding and creating a, a lane for driverless cars on the road between Seattle and Vancouver. Um, Seattle, of course, is the home to Microsoft and Amazon. So is this just George Jetson stuff, or is it something that's at least, again, worth worth thinking about as we try to move forward, let's start with Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hope Hi, you're having a good day. I am, sir. What do you hey. think? Is this just, is this George Jetson stuff, or is this at least something worth looking at? Well, it's something worth looking at, but the uh, what I'm wondering is, is this going to start off with vehicles like, say, because of Foxconn, are these going to be like mass transit vehicles? In other words, driverless buses so that, you know, they can pick up at certain points, like park and rides, whatever. And because these vehicles aren't just going to be driving down a lane, 
in on the freeway. They're going to have to get on and off the freeway, right? Right. Yes. So yes. Uh, you, they're still going to be competing at times with vehicles that are driven by human beings. Yes. And my, my guess is, and thanks, see, my guess is you're right. I, I think the now look. I, I understand like driverless cars. I mean, they're, they're designed to be able to interact on the roadways and stuff. My with, with other cars. My guess is the first generation of these are, are going to be more of the mass transit type of of vehicles. Um, candidly, see, I think you could do something like this. Um, and you could put in this extra lane for driverless cars. Matter of fact, Rich from Racine makes this point, Jeff. They could put in an extra lane for driverless cars and also use it for shuttle buses to bring people from Milwaukee and other places to work in the Foxconn area. That that's I I, I would imagine that, that would be sort of the first iteration of this. Uh, again, trying to say, okay, is this an appropriate way we can do mass transit? Can we interact it with uh, again buses and things uh, of the like, and and then move from there and. I'm not convinced. Don't get me wrong. I'm not convinced that this is an appropriate use of, of money to necessarily create these dedicated lanes. Maybe at the end of the day, it's just going to make more sense to, again, just expand the freeway and allow everybody to interact. But at least thinking about it doesn't strike me as being the worst possible idea. Let's talk to Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, is this a crazy idea? Well, I've got a little slant on this. I think it's not too much of a crazy idea if we're looking at it maybe next year or so, because what I'm concerned about is what's going on between the Marquette Interchange and the Zoo Interchange. Yep. You know, we all want to fix everything going on down there for them, for their benefit, but what about for our benefit here in Milwaukee? Uh, this is a, a, a mess up here trying to get to and from. I, you know, we had to widen that first, and that's where I think appropriate money should be spent. Well, I mean, well, first of all, Joe, I, I, the, the congregation says amen. And, and one of the things that I was disappointed about is in the transportation budget, you have the money for the, the Racine corridor expansion. You have the money to, to fix the zoo. But I will go back to channel what Governor Walker was saying. If, if, if you want to find blame for the fact that they're not expanding the freeway between downtown and the zoo interchange. What you want to do is you want to look at Tom Barrett, and you want to look at Chris Abley, and you want to look at a lot of the local politicians, because they're the ones that have not embraced this. Plus, you've got the environmental groups that are threatening the lawsuits. So, again, I'm disappointed with that, but, I mean, I even had a chance to ask the governor, and he said, look, here's the thing. You know, we had limited money. We, we, we have not been able to get a consensus because, for whatever reason, you've got a lot of the Clown Car Act, my phrase, not the governors, the Clown Car Act in the city of Milwaukee and in Milwaukee County who aren't on board with that. And it's like, hey, you know, there's only so many different battles that we can fight. All right, big story number three is coming up. The Roy Moore saga continues. Stick around. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. Okay, I understand. This is big story number three. The controversy about Roy Moore, the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate out of Alabama, does expose, in many respects, the hypocrisy of the American left. Um, the, the same people who are outraged about Roy Moore are the ones who 
looked the other way. When Juanita Broderick came forward and said that she was sexually assaulted by Bill Clinton, well, that's she's got to be lying, you know, because of course Bill Clinton was the the left wing liberal president. You know, you 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 saw this in Milwaukee, where you had the former mayor who was uh, accused of sexual harassment and sexual uh, misconduct with involving, you know, one of his aides. And, you know, when that story ended up breaking, you had all these Milwaukee area feminists who decided to come forward and and stand up on the side of, of John Norquist because, again, he was one of them. So we're going to look the other way. Um, when you look at you know, what sort of character you need to be in the U.S. Senate. You need to look no farther than Teddy Kennedy, who was an appalling womanizer. Um, somebody ended up dead, you know, in Teddy Kennedy's car. But we, we looked the other way because he was the liberal icon. So I understand that there are, in fact, double standards. But just like we were talking about earlier in the program with, you know, uh, President George H.W. Bush, times do change, and we have different sensibilities. And just because I think in many cases you have some people in the American left who are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites when it comes to this, doesn't mean that you don't get to a point where, all right, you, you want to stand up and do the right thing. Now, since this story about Roy Moore broke, I think I've been very clear and very consistent. I don't know about the allegations of sexual assault. I I always have problems when stuff comes out and it's 40 years old because you say, okay, how how did somebody, you know, how does somebody defend themselves from the, these sort of, of claims? It's 40, you know, years old. And then you ask about the timing. Well, I mean, it's not like this is Roy Moore's first trip to the rodeo. I mean, Roy Moore is in his 70s. He ran, he ran a couple times for the Supreme Court in Alabama. He was elected. Uh, you know, why didn't these women come forward? Why, you know, if, they, if he sexually assaulted somebody, why do you wait till now? Why don't you come forward um, when you're he's running in the primary? Why do you wait till now? At the same time, I also understand that, you know, after the whole uh, Harvey Weinstein story breaks, now you have more women that come feel for, confident coming forward. So, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what happened and what didn't. I do know this. I mean, Roy Moore, and I talked about this yesterday, doesn't while he disputes the idea that he sexually assaulted people, he acknowledges that he, in his thirties, uh, I'm going to use the phrase "dated" in quotation marks. You know, teenage girls. And as I said yesterday, I'm sorry, that's creepy. There, there is something really weird about. And I, people would say, "Well, Jeff, you don't understand the culture in Alabama and stuff like that." All right, I don't care about culture. It is weird, strange, and unusual for guys in their 30s to be sniffing around 14 and 15 and 16-year-old girls. Now, whether there was inappropriate touching, there was a press conference in Gloria Allred, who whenever Gloria Allred comes forward, um, I, I'm always skeptical. But but again, this is now the second person that's come forward and said that you know Roy Moore... Um, inappropriately touched her, groped her. Um, Moore says, I don't even know this gal, but he, he apparently signed her high school yearbook. I mean, this it, it's its weird, it's creepy, and at the I don't know if I want to say deviant behavior, but it's certainly unusual in the extreme. Given everything that is going on, I, I think you don't even have to make 
an ultimate determination about, you know, did he actually, you know, grope some of the, these women? I think the reality is, given the fact that you now have a bunch of women coming forward who are saying, hey, as, as teenagers, you know, he, he was, you know, trying to date us and things like that. I think that in and of itself, you know, raises enough red flags that if you were Roy Moore and you really cared about the country and you cared about the Republican Party and you cared about the ability to move forward, what you would do is you would say, okay, I I recognize all this is out there. I think I have been, this is Roy Moore, you could say, I think I have been very, very unfairly accused of this stuff. I think this is horrible. This is, to borrow the phrase, the high-tech lynching you know, of 2017. But I recognize at this point in time, given all the clouds that have been raised around my candidacy, I think it is in the interest of the citizens of Alabama and the interest of the conservative movement and the Republican Party, if I were... Without acknowledging the truth of this, I will continue to vigorously fight to defend my name. And if he wants to bring a lawsuit against the Washington Post, or it would seem to me more appropriately, if you think that the woman that the Washington Post is is quoting is lying, you would more appropriately bring the lawsuit against her. But, But I digress. If Roy Moore really cared about the country and the party and doing the right thing, this would be his opportunity to simply say, all right, I am going to step aside for the good of the party, and I'm going to vigorously fight to, again, to clear my name. At right, 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line, because the truth of the matter is, at this point in time, fair or unfair, Roy Moore is a severely damaged candidate. I and And in the event he is elected, and he may very well be elected in Alabama, he may very well be elected, but his mere presence will be a huge distraction and will be an ongoing issue that will hurt other Republicans in 2018 and will hurt the ability, if he really cares about a conservative agenda or a Trump agenda, it's going to hurt the ability because... This is all everybody's going to be talking about over the course of the next year. And if he's elected to the U.S. Senate, I guarantee you that every Democrat who is running for any office in the country, and I don't care whether it's the local dog catcher or a local sheriff or Congress or Senate or whatever, every Democrat around, fairly or unfairly, will try to hang the Roy Moore sexual assault type of stuff going out, dating the children um, around every other Republican. And for that, I think he has become toxic. 414-799-1620. Should he step aside? And again, I'm trying in this discussion to move past, do you believe the allegations or not? I don't know. We're never going to know. That's just the truth. You might believe it. You might not. But we're we're never going to know what actually happened between Roy Moore and a couple of these teenage girls 40 years ago. We're we're not going to know for sure. The only people that really know are Roy Moore and the, the, the women who are making the accusations. What we do know 
is that there are multiple women out there who are saying, at the very least, he tried to date them. And now I think two that are saying it went more than that. Would you like to see him step down? And my answer is yes, just because, again, maybe maybe he's just maybe he ultimately is being victimized by this this lynch mob mentality but the truth of the matter is he has become toxic 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line if you're on the line please hold on it's 118 this is jeff wagner wtmj it's 120 this is jeff wagner wtmj now look i understand that it is ironic that the political party that looked the other way for people like bill clinton and teddy kennedy is now absolutely outraged at the allegations against republican candidate roy moore that being said it is a different time i think fair or not roy moore has become toxic and it would be in the interests of everyone starting frankly with roy moore for him to step aside Let's start with Bob on the northwest side. Bob, good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What a mess, huh? It's a mess. And, uh, you know, I I understand what you're saying. But at the same time, I'm really mixed on what he should do with this because, you know, where does it end? At some point, you know, people can bring up these allegations from decades and decades and decades ago to anybody. So. Where does it end if, you know, when you're trying to get a political agenda uh, across and, you know, anybody could say anything? Mm-hmm. I guess what I would like to see with these newspapers that are printing this stuff is to do more research on these things before they print them and air them, such as research as, did this restaurant exist? Did he actually go there? Um, do people remember him there? Do people remember this girl working there? Stuff like that, because there's just, this he said, she said is, but the it's truth is, it's, pro- it's probably always going to be like that, though. I mean, I, I, now, I, look, I will never be the guy that defends the Washington Post, but they, they have, when they first ran the series of stories, it's not, let's put aside the Gloria Allred thing from yesterday. They say, okay, we've got, we've got you know, four or five women who say that as they were teenagers, Roy Moore tried to date us when he was in his 30s. One says it was more than just dating. You know, he, he groped me and things like that. You, you're never going to be able to prove it one way or the other. No, that's creepy. Right. Yeah. 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 Now, thanks. I see that. That's that. that and I guess that's my, my my problem here. And I, I mean, I understand it's how do you defend yourself? That's one of the th- reasons I've always said that in try. Do, do I believe that every woman who says that they were you know, sexually that, that assaulted was in fact? No, I mean, I, I, I don't look at the Duke lacrosse case. I mean, you had these guys whose lives were ruined by what was a false accusation. That's why I, I think you, you just you have to look at this with some degree of, of critical analysis. Are there multiple people? That's one of the things. And and candidly, you know, you, you have a whole series of people. And now I don't even know that Roy Moore is denying that when he was in his 30s, he, he dated, he was interested in um, young girls. By young, I mean, you know, people that were 14 or 15 or 16. That in and of itself, I don't even have to go to that next step. That in and of itself, I think, is, is just creepy and odd. And I, I think arguably under the circumstances might be disqualifying. And I understand that's somewhat ironic because, you know, again, we, we have the party, the Democrats, who looked the other way with Bill Clinton or who looked the other way with John Norquist locally or who certainly looked the other way with people like Teddy Kennedy. It didn't matter. Hey, you're in favor of abortion. Okay, we're going to look the other way if you're, you know, a rapist or you're involved in sexual assault or whatever. But but times are 
times are changing. My bigger picture is, I think, fair or not, and you can decide that for yourself, Roy Moore has become toxic. He's just become toxic. And I think the Republicans need to kind of put him in the rear view mirror because if he's elected and he wins, this is going to be an ongoing campaign issue that is going to be saddled around the necks of Republicans over the course of the next year. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, let's see, Jerry on the south side. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Um, What he should do, at least for the good of the Republican Party, is it's resigned, and I say that as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I, I detest Roy Moore, but I mean, speaking objectively for your side, what Roy Moore shows is a lot of hypocrisy of the Christian right wing. I mean, Roy Moore comes against gays, and say they are immoral, whatever, mm-hmm. but they seem to be fine with this, the allegations of this. Yeah, no, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. No, it, it there, there and and you know, Jerry, there's just hypocrisy on both sides of this issue. You know, I mean, again, yes. that's what I was using with the example of you know people who are outraged about Roy Moore. In many cases, the same people who said, "Well, we need a Broderick." All these women, Paula Jones, they must be lying about Bill Clinton. So, I mean, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. There's there's all this hypocrisy out there, but um, he's just become toxic. Fair or not, he's become toxic and. I think the Republicans need to get this behind him, and if, and he needs to get it behind him. Where did, I don't know what he thinks his end game is, because even if he wins, this issue isn't going to go away. This is going to dog him forever. Yeah, and again, personally, I would like him to stay. Yeah, no, all right. Uh, thanks for call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Afternoon, Jeff. Jeff. Uh, you are innocent till proven guilty. If he is guilty, let him go to court, and then fight in court. And let a jury decide because this could happen to you it could at, happen anybody, to anybody. at yep. any time. And and how are you going to prove it for forty years? Also, why is this happening just now when he's about to be reelected? Why did it happen two years ago? Right, years or, ago, or, or when he ran ago. for office? No, I mean I think those are all fair questions. But you say okay, you say innocent until proven guilty, but that. That applies in a criminal proceeding. That that's that's before you can be you know charged with a crime. We make we being the voters or whatever make value judgments all the time. I mean, it's not a court of law. I mean, well, it's what, Jeff, what, you, Jeff. You could have a girlfriend that you dated once or twice, yep. and you you dropped her, and now she's a Democrat. You're a Republican. Holy cow! Yeah, it, it's well. I mean that. I mean, no, thank right from from for, and that's that has always been what my concern is about the, these. About old claims, because you're right. I mean, how do you defend yourself from you know somebody that comes forward and says, "Okay, this is what happened 40 years ago." So I am, if he did this, I'm not sympathetic at all. Don't get me wrong. But from that perspective, you know, what what do you do? How do you prove this one way or the other? Now, in the case of Roy Moore, why I don't hang my hat on the allegations of the one woman who says he, he wrote me. I. I I can't get past the fact that there's all these women who now say that when he was in his 30s, he was trying to date them when they were 14 or 15 or 16. That in and of itself, I think, just says that there's something really odd about this guy. And I think arguably that in and of itself could be disqualifying. But I'm a realist when it comes to politics. And, you know, given given the hysteria that's out there now, I mean, is is Roy Moore, who's kind of a whack job on issues to begin with, is he worth 
saddling other Republicans across the country for the next year with what they will be saddled with if he ends up getting elected. And I guess I'm trying to see the big picture here. And if if Roy Moore cared about the conservative agenda and cared about the Republican Party and cared about the Trump agenda, he would do what you suggest, Tony. He would say, well, I'm going to sue. I'm going to fight. I'm going to bring a lawsuit against this woman. I'm going to sue. I want to clear my name. But he wouldn't also be running for the U.S. Senate. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 137, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As we enter an age of frequent mass shootings, one expert says you have to be an active participant in your own survival. What should you do if the unthinkable happens? Our very own Gene Miller talks to that expert at 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. One final thought about the Roy Moore conversation. A number of people are texting me saying, but Jeff, you don't understand. This is a plot. It's a plot to throw the election to the Democrats in Alabama. That's where these challenges are coming from. And and please understand, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I understand that there is a political element to this. But at the same time, first of all, you got to keep in mind, Alabama is a reliably red state. All right. A normal Republican candidate would win a statewide election with 60, 65, 70 percent of the vote. Even before these allegations came out, Roy Moore was running neck and neck with the Democratic challenger because Roy Moore, let's put aside the dating the the teenage girls when you're a district attorney at 32, he's a kook. I mean, he's just, and and I've gone through this before. I mean, I I am a judicial conservative. What that means is I, I think the judges should follow the law. A lot of times and most often you see this with the with the liberal judges who decide that they want to be the super legislature. They don't care what the law is. They want to do what they think is the right result. I don't think that's the role of judges. But Roy Moore was that on the right. Roy Moore was the guy saying, I don't care what the Supreme Court says about the Ten Commandments monument. I'm going to ignore that. That's I don't care what the Supreme Court says about the constitutionality of gay marriage. Agree or disagree with whether or not you think same-sex couples should be allowed to marry. The Supreme Court says they have a right to do that. And when he was the judge in Alabama, he refused to follow the law. That, to me, is is fundamentally wrong. That's not that's not what judges are all about. Judges, and again, I don't care whether you're a conservative, I don't care whether you're a liberal, normally you see that from the left, that judicial activism, but I denounce it when I see it from the right as well. It's not what they are. So Roy Moore is out there. Roy Moore was put up by the, the Steve Bannon kind of, let's start a civil war um, in the Republican Party crowd. And, and the minute Roy Moore was nominated, he, uh, again, took an election that should have been 65 or 70-30 and made it competitive. This makes it even more competitive, and he, he could, in fact, lose because you're going to have enough people who are just turned off by the fact, whether you believe he's guilty of sexual assault or not, they're just turned off by the fact that you've got some 30-some-year-old guy who was sniffing around teenage girls, which at best is strange, odd. What should happen, so if you want to preserve the seat, I mean, here's what happens. Roy Moore says, look, I know my name can't be removed from the ballot, but I do not want you to vote for me. I am withdrawing. I will not. I have no intention of serving. I want you to vote and write in whoever, you know, whether it's the sitting senator, Luther Strange, or whoever. This is who I want you to vote for. You come together and you retain that seat. As it is now, Republicans could end up losing it because 
uh, again, you've selected the only Republican candidate in the state of Alabama who might not be able to win the election. All right. Let us completely and totally switch gears. If you are a regular listener, you know I have from time to time railed on the people who have, in my opinion, abused laws and common sense in an effort to, I don't know, take their pets places where they do not belong. The pot-bellied pig on airplanes, for example. Now, Now, I come at this from the perspective of somebody who is a dog owner. I love my dog. I, I, I just do. I get, I mean, this morning as I was preparing the show, the dog is sitting in my lap, but I'm petting her. And it's just, it, it, so, I mean, just like any pet owner, you know, who has an affection for their animal, you, you know, you, you develop a relationship and you get comfort from that, okay? But there's a difference, and I'm sorry if this is going to offend some people, between, say, domesticated animals like dogs and cats and snakes, and pot-bellied pigs, and squirrels. All right, here is the story. It is the saga of Brutus, the emotional support squirrel. Let me share this story. This was, this is out of Clearwater, Florida. This is the way the TV station down there reported it. A Clearwater Beach resident is fighting to keep his emotional support squirrel that lives with him at his Island Walk condominium. Um, Ryan Boyland and Brutus are inseparable. He rescued her last year after Hurricane Matthew. Ever since then, I mean, oh my God, I can't imagine not being around her, he said. But he could lose her. Property management at the condos discovered Brutus back in April when she was chased up a tree by a dog. According to a complaint filed by the condo association to Boyland and the condo owner, so he's apparently a a renter, exotic animals are not allowed. He never told the board about the animal. He was sent a notice last month to give up the squirrel or be evicted. I was very sad that he had to basically push every single limitation he could to try to get me out of here because of Brutus. In the complaint, Attorney State Boylan never submitted paperwork that Brutus was an emotional support animal until this past summer. Attorneys also state Boylan is residing at the unit as a tenant without having applied for or obtained approval from the association. Boylan contacted the Office of Human Rights, claiming discrimination, and they sent a letter to the association on his behalf stating the Fair Housing Act protecting emotional support animals um let's see um and then then they go on and on they talk about the, the legal proceedings all right 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i do not believe that a squirrel in any sort of way shape or form can be categorized as an emotional support animal that should be entitled to legal protection because if you do, I mean, all sorts of condo associations and apartments and whatever have have rules against pets. Now, there are certain exceptions under the law. Service dogs, for example, are allowed. But this idea that you can take what is essentially a rodent, a wild animal, and you can say, all right, the rules are I can't keep the wild animal, but you know what, I, I'm going to consider this to be an emotional support animal, I think that's absolutely ridiculous, and I think these are scams. And, you know, people, 
where does this where does do you draw the line if somebody wants to have a python or a boa constrictor this is my emotional support snake i want to keep it a squirrel is not a domesticated animal and i don't think they should qualify as emotional support animals so that you know you have to be allowed to take them on airplanes or keep them in apartments or whatever if you want to keep your squirrel then you buy yourself a house 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, this comes from the perspective of somebody who is an animal lover, who owns a, a dog that gives me a lot of satisfaction in my life and has for the last you know several years since I, I got her. But at the same time, an emotional support squirrel, I think it's ridiculous. A squirrel is a wild animal. It is a rodent. It is not a domestic animal. It is different than a dog or a cat and does not, in my opinion, deserve legal protection. I'm sure this guy likes his squirrel, but the bottom line is if he lets that squirrel out, that squirrel is going to run away. 414-799-1620. All right, is this guy trying to scam the Apartment Association, or should we be protecting things like rodents and snakes, and where do you draw the line? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss the case of Brutus. The emotional support squirrel in just a minute. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 149. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Was Sunday's win enough to get the Packers back on track, or did they simply take advantage of a really bad Chicago Bears team? Wayne Larrabee goes all things Packers with John and Melissa at 320 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Our our text line has exploded on the story of uh, Brutus, the allegedly emotional support animal. Clint says, Jeff, I'm laughing so hard I'm crying. This is an awesome story. I love animals, but I think an emotional support squirrel is a little bit crazy. I would say it's a lot crazy. Um, let's see. Rocky says, um, having an emotional support squirrel is ridiculous um, in my opinion. Opinion. Yeah, another one. It reminds me of Ben the movie. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, how big is your lap dog? Ours is 50 pounds. We think it's ridiculous, too. Mine is a diabetic alert dog, and we get hassled. A squirrel is a wild animal and can cause a lot of damage. Yes, 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 yes. That is my point. Gary in Pewaukee. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, uh, it, it certainly is a hilarious uh, thing, the emotional uh, support squirrel or snake or whatever. And unfortunately, the bigger issue is just the most sport animals. Certainly, some people absolutely need them, and uh, if you need them, that's wonderful. You should have them. I think uh, there's also the issue of uh, people abusing that uh, in an effort to be able to take their pets into uh, apartment or condo complexes right. where there no pets are allowed, right? Or, or no exotic animals, which, which is what this is. You 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 can't yeah. keep a, a squirrels are not domestic animals. I mean, period. So this guy is yeah. trying to clearly get around that because he he found and saved some squirrel, which I'm sure if he let go would run away because it's a wild animal. You can't train a squirrel. You can't. Yeah, sure. Oh. Yeah, and it's uh, and you know the big issue is our, you know a lot of our. Are people abusing it, uh, which is, you know, both to the detriment of those people that need it and also to the uh, residents of the complex that, uh, you know, have a right to their safety and, you know, privacy, or not privacy, uh, you know, quiet well, or whatever. Well, right. well also, I mean, it, again, it's, I mean, it's, it, squirrels are not pets. Pot-bellied pigs are not 
pets. You know, swine is not a, a goat. I, I mean, if you if you want to be around those type of animals, then you you move to a farm and then you surround yourself. You move to an area that's zoned for that type of stuff, but you don't say, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a you know a, a seven foot long boa constrictor in in my apartment because it it makes yeah, me it, it, yeah." No, thanks for calling. I guess that see that, and, and that's the point. It, it's this. It is this abuse of this that I think that you're seeing happen. And of course, part of the problem is you have all these doctor feel goods. I mean, there are all these doctors that are on the internet that you know you fill out a questionnaire and you send them two hundred seventy-five dollars, and they will certify you know your your animal is an emotional support animal because you say, hey, this is. Um, I mean, I don't think squirrels are pets, but you say, okay, this is it's um, it helps me sleep at night. Or or I, I get, you know, it it comes and I, I feed it sunflower seeds and, you know, it gives me a little bit of affection. It makes me feel better. Okay, well, then that means you've got an emotional support animal. I mean, first of all, I, I think, you know, you've got to tighten the definition with under the Americans with Disabilities Act. The only if you they have protections for service animals and a service animal can only be a dog it's got to be a dog that has been through a rigorous training program and it has to be able to do something not just simply say i it, it makes me feel happy you know or it relaxes me well all pets do that and then of course you've got guys like this that end up pushing the envelope as far as i'm concerned look i mean i understand if if i was living uh, i we you know we're I'm moving into a, a condo complex, and I mean, there's there, one of the things that we checked on before we bought, you know, the condo was what is the policy regarding pets? And okay, well, all right, that's that that's clear. You know, what my our dog, um, you know, fits in just fine, no problem with that. But if they had a rule against pets, we wouldn't have looked. I mean, candidly, if they had a rule that wouldn't have allowed me to bring my dog, we would not have purchased a condo in this particular unit. But, you know, we, we check that all out. But I'm not trying to scam the system by saying, hey, I've got, uh, I, I didn't disclose this, and now I, I want some sort of legal protection. Bottom line is, if the guy wants to keep his squirrel fine he needs to move out he needs to buy a house somewhere where there's not restrictions and then let the squirrel run wild in his house see how long that lasts it's 154 this is jeff wagner wtmj 157 jeff wagner wtmj my favorite text of the day making reference to one of the great cartoons of all time rocky and bullwinkle the text comes from Boris, who says, is brilliant plan to get rid of Squirrel, but how do we go after Moose? I I just, I tell you, Rocky and Bullwinkle. I actually, I have somewhere, and I probably know where since I'm in the process of moving stuff out of one house to another. I, I, have, I, have, uh, I have DVDs of some of the old Rocky and Bullwinkle shows. Absolutely love them. Coming up in just a couple minutes, all the signs said the guy was mentally ill and should have been locked up. Nobody did anything. What can we change? Stick around for that. Um, Journal Sentinel is getting around to reporting this. Uh, Fox 6 had it last week, and we talked about it. It remains, it, it is still the most bizarre story of a long time, and, and everybody's saying it's coincidental. But you have this horrible story about the 70-some-year-old, the 76-year-old Greendale man who was suffocated and brutally murdered by the two drifters, the guys that met at the homeless camp and went over to his house, and they ended up robbing him of like $80 or something like that and killed him, and now they're both, you know, in custody. The day before, 
one of the guys, the 42-year-old drifter who was responsible for hatching this plan, he had gone over to the man's house with, at the time, an unidentified woman, and they had picked up a package or something. Well, it turns out, and this is just how weird life goes, the unidentified woman was the woman who earlier this year at State Fair Park, she and her husband were the ones caught having sex in one of the public areas at State Fair. I mean, just just bizarre. She somehow ends up in this homeless camp trying to get... Uh, she has her story is she has a friend who says, "Hey, I can have a replace. You need a place to get your replacement debit card. I can have it sent to my father." She then hooks up with this would-be murderer. They go over the day before the murder and they, they pick up this woman's debit card. Then the guy goes back and and so far everybody's just saying it is this bizarre coincidence. I, uh, you know, I, I guess if that's what authorities are saying, that's what they're saying. But how weird could it possibly be that the woman who gets caught having sex at State Fair is also the now identified woman who goes over and apparently, you know, um, inadvertently, I guess, shows these murderers where the 76 year old man lived? Just absolutely strange. Clearly, the, the stuff of a TV movie, um, unfortunately, with a tragic result. All right, we're going to be talking about mental health coming up in just a couple minutes. It is 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner. Should we make sense of that story that we've been running all day about the, the latest challenger for Governor Walker and quoting the guy from Marquette who said, ah, it, it could be an indication of signs that the governor's weak. No, you, no here, 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 here's what's going on. If you have this democratic field um, that is, it's like one lesser light after another that, that's jumping into the race. Yesterday it was this Malin Mitchell who is like a, a union boss out of Madison who ran against Rebecca Clayfish in 2012 and got, got beat. So now he says, hey, I, I lost for lieutenant governor. I'm going to run for governor. So he's joined in. The field includes um, Tony Evers, who is the state superintendent of, of schools, who's an old liberal. You've got Dana Walks, who's a backbencher from the state legislature. You've got Andy Gronick, who is, um, uh, I, I think, about as ethically compromised um, a, a candidate as you could imagine. You've got Kathleen Weinhout, who is a backbencher from the state Senate. Mike McCabe, who is... Uh, he was one of these good government type of guys, big liberal activist. He's going nowhere. Matt Flynn, who um, retired lawyer. Matt is trying. I think he's he's pretty much run for and lost every statewide election you could possibly imagine. And he's now trying to, I don't know, perhaps add a, a losing bid for governor to his resume. Um, you've got aging hippie Madison Mayor Paul Soglin, who's considering jumping in, and a very liberal representative, Kelda Helen Royce. Uh, so so why are all these people jumping in? Is it because Scott Walker is vulnerable? No, that he's not vulnerable. He's going to win handily. What I think you have going on is, first of all, you have a couple people who are just saying, "Hey, you know, we've we this is our time. It's you know we're we're older. This is going to be our chance. You know, we we want to just go and we want to run for the sake of running." And then you've got some other candidates who are trying to picture themselves, "Hey, if I run, I'm going to be cannon fodder. I'm going to lose big time to Walker. But you know what I get to do? Maybe I get to um, position myself as the leader of the Democrat Party." moving forward so i i run i i lose to walker now 
but four years from now, I will be in a position to perhaps run and win because Governor Walker has already said that he anticipates this is going to be his last term. So I think that's what you've got. You've got the the never were's that you know are saying, okay, this this is my last chance. I I'm I'm going to jump into there, and then you've got the other people who are perhaps thinking more about the future. Bottom line is, um, I don't know. It kind of is a clown car act. There, there's no question about it. And if the what are you going to run against Scott Walker on now? You're not going to run on the budget. You're going to run on, well, he's, he's bringing 13,000 jobs to southeastern Wisconsin. Foxconn is awful. Hmm. That's the recipe for about, oh, I don't know, about 35% of the vote. But Malin Mitchell is the latest, the latest piece of cannon fodder to jump into the race to run against Scott Walker. Um, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, bring it on, a 10, 11, 12-way primary. You just never, if it really gets to be that much. You never know what exactly could happen because if you get 10 or 11 candidates that are running, you know, somebody could theoretically emerge. It could really be, um, look, there's not a lot of bright lights, which kind of reflects where the Democratic Party is in Wisconsin right now. But um, you really could get um, a, a sort of fringe candidate. If you've got 10 or 11 people that are running, it's not beyond the realm of uh, possibility to say somebody emerges with the nomination with you know, 20, 21% of the vote, something like that. And um, that that could theoretically be anybody. Maybe that's what guys like you know the aging hippie dippy mayor of Madison, Paul Soglin, are thinking. Well, if I can if I can consolidate support in Madison and get a lot of the liberal votes, for example, um, even if nobody else votes for me, that'll be enough to carry me. I don't know. Uh, don't know, but I, I think if you were a betting guy, I would say, um, you know, bet bet on Walker. All right. A number of years ago, the American Civil Liberties Union did a huge disservice by bringing a lawsuit with regard to the mentally ill. And a former, now deceased, federal judge did a huge disservice, I think, to both mentally ill people and to everyone else by dramatically toughening the ways under which people could be committed against their will. Um, Essentially, the law in the state, and it's been modified a little bit over time, but still, to to take somebody who is mentally ill and get them off the street, to try to give them the treatment they need against their will, you, for all intents and purposes, have to show that they either are a danger to themselves or a danger to others. The problem with that is that a lot of times you, you can't prove that until they actually act out in, in that way, until they actually... I don't know, try to hurt somebody or something, and then everybody goes back and they say, well, of course, you know, but, but there's limits as to what you can do. I don't think we do mentally ill people, for example, a service at all by saying, hey, it's 10 degrees below zero, and somebody is making the decision that they, they want to stay under a freeway overpass. Um, they want to live under a freeway overpass when it's 10 degrees below zero, and, and they're refusing efforts to bring him inside. I don't think we do him a favor by allowing people to make that decision to stand out and, and freeze. But, but yet, that's what the law generally requires. So I, I want to take this and, and look at it in a broader way. This Texas shooting, you know, a week and a half ago, this, the man who was responsible for this was clearly mentally ill and dangerous. 
and should have been off the streets. I mean, let me share with you a story. This is out of USA Today. Long before this guy walked into the Sutherland Springs First Baptist Church, his name is Devin Kelly, um, and started shooting it up, killed all those people, injured the others, victims of his rage and others who simply crossed his path repeatedly told authorities that he was a dangerous man. Um, and then there's a researcher at Northwestern who says, everything we know about domestic violence predicted that this could happen. He has a personality disorder. It is a disorder that is connect consistent with psychotherapy. Um, and, you know, it, it was very, very clear that this guy, this is now my words, was a walking time bomb. Um, they talk about how... He had um, escaped from a mental health facility in New Mexico in June of 2012 before being caught in El Paso, according to the police. That incident occurred after he was charged by military authorities by beating his wife and stepson, leaving the boy with a fractured skull. He escaped from the Peak Behavioral Health Science Center in New Mexico, fled a few miles across the state line, um, ended up you know, getting caught. Authorities said, well, we think he's dangerous to himself. Witnesses told police that he was attempting to carry out death threats he had made on a military chain of command. He was sent to military prison. Um, his wife files for divorce. Once he gets out, he ends up stalking her. Um, they look at this. Former girlfriends, can you imagine being a girlfriend of this guy, told NBC News that he stalked and harassed them long after they stopped dating him. Residents of a mobile home park in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where he lived for several months in 2014 after being released, said they found him unnerving after an incident in which he allegedly beat a dog, beat his dog with a closed fist. Brent Moody, one of the witnesses who reported the alleged animal cruelty to the sheriff's department, said Kelly had a large knife on him when he approached him after he witnessed him tackle and beat the dog. Uh, The guy says he decided to back off and wait for officers to arrive. Um, And it, it just goes on and on and on. But there's one example after another of of antisocial, scary, psychopathic behavior and it ultimately ends up in the guy walking into the church and killing all those people. And now everybody looks back and says, well, of course, we see all the signs. To which I guess my question is, you know, why didn't we do something in advance? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, there was a Tom Cruise movie a number of years ago called Minority Report, where they use these, it was set in the future, and they use these computer programs to try to identify people who were going to commit criminal acts and arrest them before they committed the criminal act. And, and of course, you know, it was very 1984-ish and things like that. But the, the truth of the matter is, we have people who are walking around who clearly have expressed antisocial traits who've acted out on those various traits, and who really are the ticking time bombs. Don't we need to and shouldn't we be doing more up front to identify who these people are and try to get them the help they need, or at least put them on the radar screen of law enforcement if they're refusing help so we can have them monitored, have them watched, and perhaps stop them before they do these things. And I understand, whenever we talk about this, I know 
Maybe you're listening to me now, and maybe you have experienced this firsthand. Maybe you have a relative. Maybe you have a friend who is mentally ill, who is unstable, and you know it, and everybody around knows it, and you know that person is a time bomb, and you've done everything you possibly can to try to get them off the streets and get them the help they need, and you have essentially been rebuffed by the system. Don't we need to start rethinking how we approach this? And are we really doing people, again, a favor by saying, oh, it's a free country, and if you want to stay under that freeway overpass at, I don't know, when it's 10 degrees below zero, that's your right to do it. 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And in particular, if you've ever run into this, trying to get somebody who you care about help and being frustrated by that. Now, I don't know if there's anybody that was trying to get this guy help, but because he, but with all this antisocial behavior, you would have thought somebody somewhere would have said, hey, we got to do something before this guy goes and kills all these people in the Texas church. It's 219. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is the number if you want to join us. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 222. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff, a friend of mine is a police officer. He told me there are so many mentally ill people out there. They hear voices, but unless the voices are telling them to harm someone or themselves, they cannot commit them to a facility. We need to change the commitment law. Yeah, th- this is, I mean, I mean the, the Texas shooting is a drastic example of that, but clearly you had this psychotic, antisocial guy, and nobody put it together, and now all sorts of people are dead. But this goes on on one level or another on the streets on a daily sort of basis. Lee in Milwaukee. Lee, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I explained to you, producer, has someone in law enforcement, I want to explain to you, or maybe you're aware of it, that a few years ago, up until a few years ago, Wisconsin law enforcement was one of the few states where we felt somebody was mentally unstable and a harm to themselves or others. We had the opportunity to place those individuals on a 72-hour hold where you could take them before someone. That's now been stripped before us. So now... We have to call somebody who is a screener for a mental facility, and they're talking to a calm law enforcement officer, but they're not seeing the person with a thousand-yard stare or the posturing. So we know who those people are. We have now been stripped of one more tool in Wisconsin, at least, where we could take those people off the streets. And that's very frustrating. It's it's frustrating, exactly, for law enforcement in Wisconsin because... There are so many people that we would like to place on a 72-hour right. to get them before a psychiatrist, and now that's been taken away from us where we call that 800 number, and they say, no, we just don't think there's enough there for you to bring that person in, and we have no other choice but to let them go back to whatever type of behavior they have. Right. Here, go back under that underpass. You know, it's 20, degree, 20 degrees below zero. Here, go go on back or, you know, start walking the streets. No, it, I mean, thanks. the way we approach mental illness And look, I understand we don't want to live in this police state where everybody who marches to the beat of a somewhat different drummer gets, you know, thrown in into prison. I'm not arguing for that, but the pendulum has swung so far the other direction that, you know, you have people who are clearly, at least in my opinion, dangerous. 
Um, but but you can't. How do you meet that standard? Again, it, it's so tough. How do you prove somebody is is really dangerous to themselves or to others until they actually act out? And then it's it's too late. But I mean, you look at this at this guy in Texas, classic example. I mean, you you look and you you put it all together and you say, yeah, all right, this guy was a time bomb. Everybody knew he was a time bomb, and, and nobody was able to do anything about it. Uh, Liz in Waukesha. Liz, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Well, this is, I, I agree with everything that I've been hearing. The laws have to change. We have to help protect our loved ones from their own mental illness because, let's face it, people with mental illness don't know they have one. I have a sister who I haven't seen in years because she developed some, some sort of psychosis and was hearing things and seeing things and Suddenly, I became her enemy, and she right. did damage to my house. She wanted to kill me, all these other things. And there isn't anything I can do to help her. And I love her. I miss her. But we have to stay apart from each other because right. she's afraid of me. She thinks I'm her enemy. How, yeah. how can that possibly be right? Right, exactly. And and you, you in, in a lot of these cases, there is a diagnosed, you know, mental illness that in some cases could be treatable but the people you know for whatever they, they don't want to take the pills they don't want to stay uh-huh. on their meds uh-huh. or, or whatever um, because they think it slows them down or, or whatever or they don't like it and, and so as a result people end up getting shut off from their families from people who want to help them and right. and oftentimes and I, I you know I hope it's not true in your case but oftentimes it ends badly Liz and and then right. everybody goes back and says God you know we, we wish we could have done something but the laws wouldn't let let us do it. Right. And it is heartbreaking for anybody in my position that is has their hands tied behind their back to help somebody that they love. Yeah. It, it, right. It's just it's, it's yeah. hard to deal with. No, there no, thanks. nothing I can do. Yeah, no, thanks for coming. Oh, th- Kelly in Cedarburg. Kelly, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, how are I, you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, well, no pun intended, but this topic actually drives me insane. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my former mother-in-law, the battled with mental illness for many years and I tried everything I could to get her certain help but you know they they can't be forced to get the help right. until something happens right until so, they actually and, th- and then it's too late many times right and, right when she was driving 125 miles an hour going to Madison um, got pulled over and punched a cop then it was an issue <laughs> um, so so therein lies some of the issues and then she was state mandated to take the medicine but she would go off of it or not go in to get the medication and so there are a couple of things going on is they're so protected, we couldn't even understand what her counselors were saying to her during her sessions. Right. And then the other piece was I didn't come from a family of mental illness, so I wasn't used to that, is families are so, there's such a stigma for mental illness right. that they want them to retain their independence, which they really, it's, it, there's kind of a, um, yeah. a happy medium there. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And, and, it gets, and it gets frustrating because... You want to do something, but but you, you're you're getting essentially roadblocks that are being put in your way. And again, you you know it's the potential that it's going to end badly. Now, thanks for the call, Kelly. It's it is just it is frustrating to me. And I mean, look, I I understand that whenever you have one of these horrible things like happens in in Texas, everybody wants to turn and talk about the guns, and I think that's a conversation you can have. But the underlying problem is you have dangerously mentally ill people who are out on the streets that we need to figure out a way. We're not helping them 
allowing them to just roam the streets, and we're not helping any of the rest of us. It's 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Brett Hundley finally gets a win under his belt as a starter, but can he do it five more times for the pack? Greg Matzik believes he'll have to. If Green Bay wants to see the postseason, join the debate tonight, Sports Central at 735. Actually, Greg Matzik sitting in the studio. Greg, um, this Sunday... All right, I'm actually. My wife has never been to a football game at Lambeau Field. All right, so we are. Um, we were at a, a charity event a week or so. I don't even have the WTMJ tickets. We we have a, we were a charity event about a week ago, and somebody had donated some really good seats, like in the stands on like the 45 yard line, and I bid on them and got them. So we're going up to the game on Sunday. There you go. You dress warm, right? <laughs> well, that, I, I was actually. I just. I, I Belinda's like the forecast ended on Saturday, so I was just checking out the long term forecast uh, Sunday. High 33, low 28, uh, but sunny. So that's the rain on Friday and Saturday. It's it's. I don't mind 30 degrees and sunny. It's it's the rain that really makes it miserable when it's wet. Well, I think you're doing it right, going to a, a, a mid-November game or a December game, right? You go in early September and you don't really get the full experience. I think you're doing it right here. Especially for a first experience, you're doing it right. Right. For uh, now, yeah. I mean, well, it's it's actually, and it's Sunday. It's at noon. You know, that's. I mean, right. Like the late afternoon games or, or the evening games, you don't get back till two o'clock in the morning. So I thought, okay, it's a, it's a noon game. I have been watching it, so it's it's. I, I'm I'm trying to say. I said, let's go there early. We'll walk around the parking lot. Maybe take her in. I I love the Packer Hall of Fame. You know, and that's. I, I mean, I. Maybe do that. I'm thinking about all these different things, but the operative thing is at least it's going to be dry, cold but dry. Yeah, and the pro shop is always open if you need something else to layer up in. Oh uh, well, that's that, that's <laughs> they'd exactly love to it. see you. So right, and and yes, our, our producer Gru is sitting there. All you need is money. Okay, well, it, yeah. it, that's that, that's fine. Uh, trust me on this one. Happy wife, happy life. By the way, it is my wife's birthday today. So Fran, happy birthday. So that's didn't didn't want to. You were supposed to remind me of that, Gru. See, I, if I, you were supposed to remind me of that. I wanted to send out birthday wishes. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to go up to the game on Sunday. It's her first game. It should, be, it should be a lot of fun. Now, here is part of the dynamic, though. Um, this is also the start of deer hunting season. Now, um, starting Saturday morning, there will be, I don't know, up to 600-plus thousand people who will be all over the state, but lots of them in the Northwoods, waiting for sunrise to um, be- begin deer hunting. I, now, one of the reasons I'm not a hunter myself, but partially I know this because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having, you know, <laughs> lots of work done. I have a, a guy who's, you know, working on my house in the North Shore, um, you know, getting it ready. We're going to put that on the market. And I've got a house in Ozaki County that we're going to move into at some point in time. It's being painted stuff. and stuff. And, and you reach a certain point in time where for about a 10-day period, between deer hunting and Thanksgiving that, um, well, a lot of that construction work, it's, it's tough to get done because guys go out and they, they do their hunting and stuff, which is just, just great. Hunting is, of course, a family tradition in Wisconsin. And matter of fact, the legislature has done a number of things over the years to make it easier for kids to participate. Frankly, I think this bill that was passed into law and signed by the governor allowing children essentially of any age to carry guns and hunt was was overkill no pun intended but regardless okay that's that that's now the case you can take your kids you could always take your kids with you to hunt now you can give them high-powered rifles which again doesn't make much sense to me but i'm all in favor of the family activity and taking people hunting all right now here's part of the, the trick to that though 
School is in session. Now, I understand there's some schools that, like, essentially shut down on Friday for teachers' conferences and quotation marks or whatever. But many schools are, in fact, open. So here's here's the deal. As a matter of fact, I got two emails from people saying, you know, are you going to talk about this again? You talked about it last year or two years ago, and you're wrong, and you'll probably be wrong again. But what what happens is, for many people who participate in the hunting tradition, they've got a long way to drive. And so a lot of times, Friday, for example, um, even though the hunting season doesn't start till Saturday, you know, if you've got a long way to drive, for example, let's say wherever you're hunting is four or five hours away, what you do is you, you take off a of work on Friday and you drive up there so you're all set, you're ready to be in the woods on, on Saturday. And I know there are a lot of people who, if you're taking your kids with you, what you do is you pull them out of school um, in advance. Or maybe you, you pull them out of school for a day or two next week if you're going to be staying out there. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Don't get me wrong. I think attending school is obviously important. I think that kids should, in fact, be in school. However, I think there's also the whole notion of family bonding and things like that. And as long as your kid is is doing okay. Now, if your kid's failing every class, well, maybe they, they shouldn't be you know missing any school at all. But as long as your kid is doing okay in school, I don't see anything wrong with pulling them out of school for a, a day, for example, to get a head start on deer hunting. I, I, just, I just don't. I think that the memories that you're going to create of a multi-generational trip out to you know, participate in hunting, I think that's well worth it. Matter of fact, I have less issue with that than, say, you know, the folks that pull their kids out of school for two weeks um, in the spring because they want to take an extended vacation to the, their second place in Arizona or they want to go down to Cancun or whatever. I, I think hunting is, in fact, special. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it appropriate to pull your kids out of school to get a head start on hunting season? My answer would be yes. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 242. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Yes, um, this weekend, um, it will be different kind of dynamics because it's the first weekend of hunting season. I know that there are many people who pull their kids out of school early to get a head start on getting to wherever they have to get. I'm in general not a fan of pulling kids out of school for purposes, but, you know, for a day here and there, especially a day where you're part of the family bonding for hunting, I I think as long as the kid is doing okay, I don't think there's any problem with this at all. The memories that you're going to make by going hunting with your father or your grandfather or mother or grandmother, I I think those – that, that's going to sustain you for a long time. Dave in Sussex. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Hi. I, uh, my father uh, and mother used to take me out of school for hunting. We would take uh, like two days off every year, the Friday and Monday. Right. And it, it was the understanding in my family that before I left for hunting, that I would have all my homework done and any pre-tests done that I may miss at school. So they would contact the teacher like two weeks in advance and tell him, you know, we want him to do his homework before he leaves 
so that there was no, you know, right. hey, I didn't get the homework or I didn't have time to do it because I was out in the woods. So I had to do it up front if I wanted to go. If my grades were suffering before that, well, then I didn't go. Right. So, but uh, I, I vividly remember um, one principal that would butt heads with my dad about it, um, that he didn't feel was a valid reason for taking kids out of school. And then he would have a list of three or four kids already pre- pre-planned where their parents would take them to Disney for seven to ten days. And that, well, was, that didn't seem to be an issue. But because it was tied to the hunting uh-huh. thing, he didn't think it was valid. See, but, now, my, know, ge- my guess is, Dave, too, that you have, I mean, you have vivid recollections. I would assume almost all positive memories about those various hunting trips that you took. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's all about the camaraderie and if you're lucky enough to get a deer that that's part of the event too obviously that that's what it's all centered around but i have a i have a one son driving from lacrosse to meet me this year mm-hmm. i have another son driving from minnesota to spend time with his dad for three days yeah um you know it's a lot of driving just to spend time with people but it's a tradition that we've formed and uh and it's a it's a great bonding situation you learn a lot of life lessons some of them are good, some of them are bad, um, but yeah. it's all learning. And uh, no, I, I no thanks to see. I, I, I agree. That's in all honesty. Look, and I, I have nothing against Disney World or things like that. I, I I I've been to Disney World on multiple occasions, and 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 you do have those things as well. But you know, in all honesty, I, I think if if you want to be if. If you're going to allow the parents to pull the kids out for like the week long trip, you know, in advance of spring break, or what happens a lot of times is the kids' spring break will be a different week than, um, you know, mom and dad can get into the timeshare or whatever. And so you take a week off with that. I, I think you can make, a, again, a larger argument that maybe a day or two for hunting, that's at least as valuable, if not more valuable. Dawn in Kenosha. Dawn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Much like the caller before me, um, we pulled my son out of school. He was a sophomore in high school, an honor student, about 10 years ago or so. And he had permission um, from all of his teachers that was required by the school that he be pre-approved for mm-hmm. the absence for it to be excused. Um, he had all of his homework, and he was with his dad up north, Um they came back, and on Sunday he said to me, Mom, I've got everything done but one math assignment because I don't quite understand it. And I said to him, I said, well, take it into the teacher tomorrow and explain to her that you just quite didn't get it, sure. and would she give you some instruction? The woman basically told him that was his problem, it was his work, um, he shouldn't <laughs> have missed class. A week later, we came to parent-teacher conferences. Now, again, son's an honor student, never misses school, does very right. well. Right, yeah. Right, it's not like he, he's failing. I mean, it would be no. a different story if, if your son was, was failing classes and was skipping school all the time, but that wasn't your case. No, I got it. Not right. at all. And she um, brought it up to us, and my husband said to her, well, he came to you because he had a problem with it. Um, you know, we spent the week hunting. He did everything else, and the woman went ballistic on us. If yeah. I'd have known that he was going hunting, I wouldn't have approved this, I, blah, 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 blah. I mean, she just went off. And I looked at her and said, what, it would have been okay if he was visiting the mouse in Florida? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, 
Right. Um, And yeah, I just, I believe that as a parent, it is our right to decide what life experiences and teaching moments we provide our children. And sometimes that includes pulling them out of school for a few days or a family vacation, which we did when he was in kindergarten. Right. Um, yeah, as long as you're doing it in a responsible fashion, as long as you're trying to make the arrangements you got. And again, it might be a different story if you're, if your if your son was failing all these classes, well then, but right, if, if he's doing fine and he's an honor student and you want to pull him out for a day so he can have, or two, so he can have an experience that he's going to remember his whole lifetime, really, I mean, well, he, oh, give me a break, yeah. He um, ended up, he is an assistant district attorney in a <laughs> Wisconsin county, I think he did okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and, that's, and, and, and that, that teacher is probably just like, kind of angry and upset and um i can't believe that they did this how important it was no i think don i think you did the right thing thanks for calling again that's my that's my larger point about this i mean i think that there needs to be a degree of common sense but i, I understand there's some people who are anti-hunting i'm not a hunter myself i I'm, I'm not but at the same time i appreciate not just the value and how important this is to tourism around here but i appreciate that the bonding experience that goes on this is a tradition in the state of Wisconsin. I mean, I didn't grow up in a hunting family. My father was not a hunter. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I just didn't have that experience. But I understand that in many cases you are talking generations of this. And the, the truth is, if, if, it, if it means, you know, pulling the kid out on so you can drive up on Friday morning and get to wherever you're going and, and be ready, I, I think that that should be the parent's prerogative. And, you know, if you've got some teacher saying, well, he shouldn't have missed a particular day, um, well, maybe those teachers need to figure out, and maybe they need a fewer service days, for example, so that they can, you know, work on, you know, providing instruction to the kids. I'm just saying it, it's all a balancing act. All right, it is 2.54. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his slate for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.